you wrote a defeated list in your life when you wrote a list of these are all the things that God has done in my life all the ways that God has conquered things struggles and issues when was the last time you stopped for a moment in the midst of your life and just said this is how faithful God is God has done this he's done this he's reconciled this he's fixed this he's removed this he's made this amazing he's given me a new like all the things that God has done Buried treasure isn't easy to find. It takes persistence and a lot of digging to unearth the valuables hidden below the surface. That's just what you'll experience with today's passage. At first glance, it's just a list of the kingdoms that the Israelites defeated, but it's really much more than that. Today, Pastor Daniel encourages you to dig down deep to see that this list is really a record of God's faithfulness to his chosen people. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 12 as he begins his message, The Defeated List. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 12. Joshua chapter 12 as we bring this first series in the book of Joshua to a totally anticlimactic fulfillment. And you'll see why. But the book of Joshua breaks down into these two pieces. The first half, chapters 1 to 12, tells the story of all of the battles that were fought by the children of Israel when they entered into the promised land to grab hold of their inheritance. And then actually the whole second half of the book of Joshua is completely, for the most people, unmemorable because literally what it does, it talks about all the different nations or all the different tribes getting their inheritance. So, you know, we're going to be starting a new series upcoming that we're going to be calling Homestead because we see the children of Israel now getting into their land given by allotment. And so what's interesting is that chapter 12, it just gives a detailed list or catalog of the kings defeated by the nation of Israel in the preceding chapters. That's really what it is. It's literally this person got defeated and this person got defeated and this person got defeated. And so in some ways, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible, and if you haven't, you should, I would really encourage you, it's always great to start at the beginning of the year. So literally, if you read three chapters in the Old Testament and one chapter in the New Testament every single day, for 365 days, you're going to read from the entire Bible. If you want to read the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice, obviously you read three chapters in the Old Testament and then two chapters in the New Testament. And you'll read by the end of the year, if you do it every day, at the end of the year, have read from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament. And if you do two chapters in the New Testament day, you'll get through the New Testament twice. So I would really encourage you to do that. But if you've ever tried to do that, there's sections in the Bible where you read and you're just kind of like, oh, God, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with all that. Chapter 12 is like one of those. And listen, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's certain sections of the Bible that immediately speak to your heart. And there's other sections that when you read it, you're like, I'm not really sure I'm supposed to get out of that. And what I always tell people, and I'm going to remind you all, is that if you rake, you'll get leaves. And if you dig, you get diamonds. It's that simple. So it's like certain things grab our hearts on the surface, but really diamonds are found when you dig. 
And we want to learn how to dig into the tough sections because there is spiritual nourishment there, but it might not be as readily on the surface. So like when we read Joshua chapter 12 together, you might say, well, you know, I really like the gospel of John so much better than that. But what I want to bring out up at the front, and I'm going to be teasing this out all the way through the message is this. For the children of Israel, this is a complete catalog and list of all the victories that they've experienced as they've walked into the promised land. And I wonder, when was the last time you wrote a defeated list in your life? When you wrote a list of, these are all the things that God has done in my life, all the ways that God has conquered things, struggles and issues. When was the last time you stopped for a moment in the midst of your life and just said, this is how faithful God is. God has done this. He's done this. He's reconciled this. He's fixed this. He's removed this. He's made this amazing. He's given me a new, like all the things that God has done. And so in some ways, when we read it, it's just like a big list of names. This guy got defeated, and this guy got defeated, and this guy got defeated. But then you realize that really what this is, is this is a list. It's a listicle that's a testimony of the faithfulness of God. And I think for many of us, we would have a different view of our lives if we actually took some time to make some of these defeated lists. That in my life in the last six months, three months, year, God has done this, he has done this, He's done this and he's done this. Because if you do that, and if you're really honest about all the different things that God has done and all the victories that you have won, then what you'll find is that as you're looking at the next three months, as you're looking forward, you'll be like, man, man, God's going to be doing amazing things. It's going to be awesome. God's got a plan here. Because look what he did in the last three months. And if you look at those lists, what you'll find is oftentimes in the midst of going through the things that you're going through, you don't realize that they're going to end up on the defeated list, but that's where they end up. And so this list is kind of, I say it's anticlimactic because to end this section, it's kind of like, oh, just a list. Yeah. But this is a list of God's faithfulness. And each one of us has that list. We just have maybe haven't written it down. Maybe in a long time, we haven't stopped and said, these are all the things that God has done. These are all the areas of victories I've experienced. These are all the different things that God has done, all the steps he's had me take, all the unique things that I've learned in my life. And what it does is when we write these things down, we begin to be filled with tremendous gratitude for not only fellowship with God through Jesus, but God's ever steady leadership, even in the midst of our not so steady responses. So to jump on in, Joshua chapter 12 Verse 1, these are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain. One king was Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead from Aror which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is on the border of the Ammonites, and the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Chinneroth as far as the Sea of Arabah, or the Salt Sea, the road to uh, Beth Jesimoth, and southward towards the slopes of Pisgah. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory, who was 
of the remnant of the giants who dwelt at Ashtaroth and at Endrei, and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Scalca, over all of Bashan, as far as the border of the Jeshurites and the Machathites, and over half of Gilead, the border of Sion, the king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So first we begin with these two major kings who were defeated by Moses. And we're talking here about the east side of the Jordan, right? So Shihon and Og. Sihon ruled over a stretch of land that was about 90 miles, so just under 100 miles from north to south. And if you notice here, you have... Things like the Sea of Arabah, which is the Salt Sea, or we call it today the Dead Sea, right? So if you've ever been to the Holy Land, as we like to call it, to modern-day Israel, you can go to the Dead Sea. It's interesting if you like cosmetic products. Obviously, that's not my forte. But there is so the, the salt and the mineral deposits in the Dead Sea, as we call it, is so rich that it's literally a huge industry for Israel because it's so good for you. I remember when Lynn and I, we went there. You know, if you go there, because it's so salty, you can literally just float. If you go in the water and you need to take your feet off the ground, you literally float. You know, uh, because there's such buoyancy. And I remember I was messing with Lynn and, and I said, you know, sweetie, you should taste that water. I mean, we're in, we're in Jerusalem. And she's like, why would I want to taste the water? I'm like, oh man, it's like, this is, it's special. It's got so many nutrients. And I was like, totally like, I was like really working this thing up for her. And the whole time I had like the camera ready. And like, and she's like, no, no, no. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. So finally she tasted it. And it's so salty. It's like so nasty. And she just was like, and I snapped a picture and I got a great picture of my bride. Just, you know, and you could pray for her, you know. But in my, you know, to make amends, I tasted it too, you know. So I was like, okay, I'll taste it too. And so, and now she doesn't trust me ever again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You have the Dead Sea here, and so obviously if you would look on a map, you could see some of these places. Now, what you have to remember is these defeats you see in Numbers chapter 21, and then they're recounted again in Deuteronomy chapters 2 and 3. So this land that was given, and we have the whole general area and who the rulers were, really what you end up finding here is that two and a half tribes decided that they wanted to settle on the east side of the Jordan. If you've been tracking with us as we've been doing this study through the Bible, you know, there was Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh. They loved the east side of the Jordan. And even though it wasn't part of the land that God had promised them, they wanted to dwell. They saw that that land was good. It would be great for what they were trying to do. And so they asked Moses if they could settle there. And Moses said, yes, but when we go into the promised land, all the able-bodied men had to go to battle. You could and just settle here, you still had to do the work. And so we're reminded here, of course, of that these tribes settled on the east side of the Jordan, and they did fulfill their promise to go on in and fight along with their brothers as they took the promised land. And we're also reminded here that Moses was involved in this. So this was before Joshua became the ruler. And so you're always reminded when you look at the Bible that everything stands on the shoulders of what happened before. So, you know, in our Bibles, you'll see that 
everything about everything is not in there, but everything is sequentially ordered. And so you have Moses, and then as Joshua comes in, and Joshua is standing upon the shoulders of Moses, and then from Joshua, we're going to go through the judges, and then you end up at the prophet Samuel, and then King Saul, and King David, and King Solomon, and all these different people. But it is a, a progression. Time is pushing forward. And these two kings are in the list of the kings that were defeated because it was part of the journey that they were on. Now, as you move into verse 7, we find all the kings that were defeated by Joshua. And really what you have is that you have the 16 kings that were defeated in the southern part of the land, verses 9 to 16, and then 15 kings in the northern part of the land, verses 17 to 24. So for those of you who like those type of kind of details, you can write that down. You can write 15 kings, 9 to 16, southern part of the land, and and, and you can mark up your Bible. Now what's interesting about this is if you do the math, 15 kings and 16 kings, you find 31 kings. But how many stories of battles did we actually have in the first 12 chapters of the book of Joshua? Not many. So what does that tell you? That way more went on for the children of Israel than what we actually have recorded. And I think this is an important thing because I think oftentimes we, as we're reading this inspired text that's also historical, we have a tendency to think that we know every detail about everything and the actual truth is we don't. And one of the most important things that any of us can do as followers of Jesus is get comfortable with the fact that we don't have every piece of information, but we have everything that we actually need. And so in opportunities of biblical revelation, we have tremendous certainty, but we all have to be comfortable with a good bit of mystery. And we approach that mystery with what we call faith. Because of the, what we have certainty about, the things that we don't know, we can rely on the certainty that God has given us, and we realize that there's all sorts of details that, for whatever reason, God didn't feel that we needed. So, the book of Joshua doesn't tell every single battle of every single king. It gives us the most important battles. And I think we have to always remember that, that, you know, like when you look at the biblical revelation, I mean, you have... The life of Abraham, the father of faith. But you only have a handful of events in this guy's life. And this guy lived to be, what, 120 years old, 140 years old? You only get, what, 10 events in his life. You have someone like the son of Jacob, who we know is Joseph. You only have the big events of his life, but his character was formed every single day. You know, Moses is one character that we have a lot about his life. But even if you think about the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, I mean, Jesus did active public ministry for three and a half years, but we only have a hundred moments out of three and a half years of public ministry. And there was a lot of things that Jesus was involved in that we don't know anything about. Now, obviously, we don't just want to make up what happened in there. That's what a lot of people do, because they want Jesus to be made in their image. Like, oh, well, you know, there's this thing, and Jesus did this thing, but nobody, it never happens. But we have to be okay with the fact that on the things that the Bible tells us we can be certain about and on the things that the Bible doesn't, then we embrace by faith that God knew exactly what he was doing and we don't need that information. Does that make sense? So we have certainty in what is revealed and we have faith that certain things God chose not to reveal to us. Now, what it also does is when we realize that God hasn't given us every piece of information is it keeps us as followers of Jesus from being arrogant in our understanding. 
And I think this is an important thing because I think we live in a day and age today where for the longest time in Western Christianity, we were so certain about everything that it also created an arrogance. And remember, Jesus is meek and lowly in heart. And so we want to make sure that we embrace the way of our Lord, that we allow ourselves to be conformed to his personality. And in the things that we know for certain, we still hold it with humility. And I think this is even more important in a day and age like today because our culture doesn't really value humility. Our culture values aggressiveness, self-confidence, but those aren't things that Jesus necessarily values. I mean, obviously Jesus, you could make the case, was the most aggressive person who ever lived. I mean, he got crucified and he conquered the sins of the world. It's a pretty aggressive endeavor, I would say. You know, and he did it in his own body. But at the same time, his way of going about the work of the kingdom was still done with a, a humility. Judas still needed to identify Jesus at his betrayal. Jesus wasn't wearing like a big old gold necklace that said Messiah. Diamond encrusted, you know. He didn't have like gold teeth that said, you know, Yahweh on his teeth. And, you know, there was not this whole pomp and circumstance. I mean, you know, of course, when Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, he could have gotten himself a white thoroughbred, but he got himself a donkey, you know, a borrowed donkey at that, you know. And so you have all these things with as it relates to Jesus. And so I want to just remind all of us that. God values a humble and a quiet spirit. And I realize that one of the overarching cultural passions is to have an arrogant and a loud spirit. And God wants to cultivate something unique in each one of us. And it's amazing to me because, you know, God could really boast about all these things he's done, but he's only given us certain stories of certain battles. And then we just find out later, well, actually, a whole bunch of things happened. But a lot of it didn't get any time for us to, to learn about it. So to take this first part of it, these 16 kings in the southern part of the land, starting in verse 7, it says, and these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on this side of the Jordan, on the west, from Baal God to the valley of Lebanon as far as Mount Halak, and the ascent to Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions. In the mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, and in the slopes, and in the wilderness, and in the south, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezer, one. I just love that it says Gezer in there. I just think it's so awesome. Sorry. The king of Horma, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adalim, one. The king of Makeda, one. And the king of Bethel won. And so you notice two things here. One, one, <laughs> one. First is that the battles that were fought were fought in all different lands with all different dynamics. And I think that's important to realize because you notice when it begins going, it says in the mountain country and in the lowlands and the plain and in the slopes and in the wilderness. 
And so the idea is, is that the battles that God is fighting in all of our lives have different terrains and dynamics involved. It's like God isn't only victorious in our lives in one area. There's all sorts of parts of our lives. And so these battles, this land that they were inheriting was a multifaceted land. It wasn't just flat. There was mountains and lowlands. There was plains and slopes. There was wilderness. And the idea, of course, of the south, oftentimes it's the Negev, which is the desert. Right? And so you have all these different terrains. And I think what's interesting, if we're going to apply it to our lives, is that the battles that God is fighting in our lives, where we are looking to walk into the victory and the inheritance of what God has for us, there's going to be emotional things, and there's going to be spiritual things, and there's going to be practical things, and there's going to be things that are real deep heart issues, and sometimes it's just going to be real surfacey, real life, normal stuff. And the thing that I want to really make sure that we all realize is that if you are in Christ, you are already a conqueror. Jesus already has defeated all of those necessary things, but for each one of us, it's about us learning how to walk in that victory. A great example of this is we read in the Bible about the kingdom of God, and scholars would always tell you that the kingdom of God is already and not yet, right? Like it's here and it's coming. Right Now, in the same way, the Bible says that when a man and a woman get married, the two become one flesh. On a day when a biological man and a biological woman get married, they spiritually become one flesh. But then every single day of their married life, they are learning how to walk in who they already are. And anybody who's been married knows that that's a lifetime process, you know? It's like on the day that you get married, you are positionally one flesh, but experientially you're learning. In the same way, the Bible says that if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. They've been completely justified and you're perfected. But every single day as a follower of Jesus, you are learning how to walk in the experience of this new position. And the Bible calls that sanctification. So the sanctification process is us actually experiencing and living out who we already are in Christ. And for each one of us in the areas of our lives where there is battles going on, you're already a conqueror, and it's about us learning how to walk in the victory that was already bought by Jesus on the cross. Now, doesn't that change the way that you battle? Because sometimes you battle, and if you like movies, and I love myself a good drama that is based on the battlefield, you know? In all those movies, one of the things that in the midst of the movie, which obviously is a movie, nobody actually knows the outcome. So like, you know, whether it's the Lord of the Rings movies or of course, you know, there's always new Star Wars movies coming out. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. But in all these things, there's always that moment where like, we're not going to win, right? We're not going to win. And you're hoping it's going to turn out the way that you want it to. Now, what's interesting for us in Christ is that you're already a conqueror. So you actually already have been victorious. And it's kind of like if you missed a football game, but you found out who won, but you went back and watched it. Doesn't that change it? Jesus is real. There's a tension between the already and the not yet. As Pastor Daniel shared today, you can see this play out in your own story. When you invite Jesus into your life and accept his gift of grace, you become a new creation. 
but you've still got to learn how that plays out on a daily basis. You have to battle against your old way of life with the hope and the assurance that God is with you and has already given you everything you need to live the life of freedom that he created you to have. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy, but I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will finish up this series with a reminder that knowing how things are going to end can change your perspective in the middle of the story. Because you know that God will win in the end, you can wade through the tough times with hopeful expectation and faith that will keep you moving forward. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Conquest. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.